Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing media, marketing and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with Barry O'Brien, founder and chairman of media agency Atomic 212. Welcome, Barry. Thank you. Thank you very much, Darren. This has been a conversation that's been a few, well, probably a couple of years in the in the waiting because you are certainly what I see as one of the leading uh, people in the media industry in Australia. And so I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. That's very kind. Um, not sure about the leading, but uh, yeah, it's nice to be here and uh Nice to be about to be interrogated over the next 30 minutes. <laughs> well, I, I mean leading as in I've always seen you as a person with a point of view and an opinion about what's happening in the industry. And I think that can often be quite difficult in an industry that doesn't like any sort of criticism or, um, or correction to what's happening. I think it's the reason that I've stayed in the business for as long as I have. Um, it's changing, it evolves, um, it, it's tough, it's good, it's bad, it's indifferent. Uh, so every day is a uh, is a different sort of uh, look and feel, and uh, they get you up and uh, and out and part of it. Uh, so been very lucky to uh, to be part of all of that and seen an enormous change and uh, still this industry and this business, uh, which I've been lucky enough to uh, have uh, such a, uh, a great time in, uh, is still changing and still developing as we uh, as we go. Well, I first became aware of you, Barry, back in the total media or total advertising, um, it was called, uh, which is when I was uh, a you know, copywriter. I think I'd just moved to Grey advertising. We'll, we'll just say last century. I don't want to put any <laughs> decades on it because, you know, that'll make us both feel older than we than we really feel. But back in those days, because you know, we're talking, you know, the pre-digital, I think they were just starting to talk about interactive media. You know, do you, do you look back on those days in some ways and, and they seem simpler or easier? It was... Um to a certain extent, it probably was simpler or it looks simple. Um, but there was a, a time there where all of the major agencies had media departments uh, and then there was a thing called unbundling uh, where lots of uh, various agencies started up um, buying shops or uh, planning and buying shops. There had been great success with Dennis Merchant with Merchant and Partners and also Harold Mitchell with uh, Mitchell and Partners. And then AIS sort of flowed out of all of that uh, and there were uh, there were a few others. Uh, the Total Media guys, as, uh, as you mentioned, and we were, uh, we were a breakaway from Total Media, which became Total Advertising. Um, pretty much very similar in terms of advising clients as to where their money had to go, what they had to do, uh, a real focus in terms of um, results, uh, so every dollar, uh, and nowhere near the analytics that you've now got and the data uh, that's uh, available. 
but a pretty good feel in terms of what could work, what was working, and, and a real focus on that. So uh, probably a really good platform going back those days to where we now are uh, and a real, you know, sort of a real development in terms of I love, I love all the geekiness. I think it's just amazing that if you can sit there with a client and say that I can improve your business by 1% or 5% or whatever uh, with the money that they're uh, investing, uh, then that's, uh, that's a great buzz. That really is. That's a great feel. And that's been, that's been pretty much since day one in terms of total advertising right through to now in terms of where can I help, where can I improve, what can we bring to the table to improve your life. Anyone can sell easy products. It's the warehouses full of stuff that you can't get rid of that is keeping the finance director, the CEO and the marketing director awake at night. How do you help with that? How do you help with the challenge? Yeah, uh, the point about, uh, I think it was my first week at J. Walter Thompson where they just announced that the media department was going off to become Mindshare. So, you know, that was uh, that was quite a big step, you know. And and do you think in hindsight the unbundling and the, you know, the whole move with the accreditation was a good thing or do you think it could have been re- rethought through if you had at the time all over again? At, at, the, uh, at the time, the creative agencies thought it was sensational because they got rid of all of this cost, they got rid of all of the insurance, they got rid of all of the... Uh, uh, research, the licensing fees, the, yeah, the licensing right. fees, all all of those costs, uh, and then all of a sudden, um, people who were part of a uh, a creative environment were out there, pretty much working for the client base of, uh, you know, sort of a J. Walter Thompson or, or or whoever, but they also had to start to catch and kill their own, uh, and. That was a pretty sort of tough environment uh, and one of which uh, when you start a media agency as opposed to sort of unbundling, you had a different sort of skill set, you had a different sort of mindset of of being out out there and being able to sort of fish. Um, Having said that, uh, the multinationals when they started up had all of the blue chip clients or a lot of the blue chip clients. So uh, they had a pretty good platform to work with. I feel very sorry for those that have never ever been part of a creative agency environment to be able to sort of sit there and see what the work developed and, you know, where it comes from. Um, so I think there is a gap there. Um, but well, or also the other thing was as the media guys, you got the last five minutes of the pitch because the creatives and the strategists would take 55 minutes and then you get a chance to go, well, the way we'd invest your media is X and then out the door. We, uh, <laughs> we, we, were, uh, we were just prior to lunch normally uh, yeah. in a pitch and it was like sort of, oh, yes, and here's your million-dollar plan or your $2 million plan. Um, Bob Miller from Toyota, um, he had a different focus in terms of, no, let's put the media guys on first let's, because I'm spending hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of media and I want to see what they're, they're going to bring. And then there was lots of other Bob Millers that thought, you know what, I'm spending all my money with you. I need to know a little bit more than five minutes prior to lunch. So, and as such, we all grew in terms of businesses and developments and, uh, and you know, the way in which we sort of all developed uh, in, in terms of the business that we're now in. Now, I want to go back to when I, um, I asked you about it's a, it was a simpler time or an easier time. 
And that's because the other part that most people forget, you know, and a lot of people focus on agency and client, but the media agency also has another group, which is the media owners. Yeah. And back then, most media was nationally based. You know, it was Australian based. Now we've got, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks that are owned out of Ireland, usually for legal purposes, but, you know, based in the US. And so I have this perception that there were a lot more, you know, relationships that are always important, but, you know, a handshake or an agreement stood because everyone knew each other. And perhaps with all of the new players and the diversity of players, that's harder to maintain. Is that a reasonable perception, do you think, or is it still possible? I think um, I think it's a reasonable perception uh, for me. I'm still of the handshake, okay? Uh, I still, and that doesn't... That, that doesn't mean that there's no handshake with Google or, or whatever. It's a handshake with Google. There's a handshake with uh, Facebook right through to the television networks, the radio networks, um, News Limited, etc. right? What, whatever your word is and you say that you're going to deliver, you need to deliver that. Vice versa, they know that, um, you know, we've got, a, got an arrangement here and we need to deliver that for the client. So it becomes... You know, if you, if you deliver for them, they deliver for you. One of the things that I think is a lost art here is um, when you've got someone on the sales side who is sweating on a, a deal coming through, it might be half a million dollars worth of television or radio or whatever or outdoor, and then all of a sudden it doesn't come through but the media agency hasn't sort of uh, given them the feedback to that, um, it's rather disappointing for the salesperson who's put a lot of time and a lot of effort in terms of the pitch and the process. They're also sitting within an environment where someone um, has got pressure on them to say, where's that half a million dollar um, you know, booking from, uh, from Atomic? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, we didn't get it. Well, how come we didn't get it? What's the feedback? So it's really important in terms of the, the, the two-way street in terms of feedback and and where could we have improved and why didn't we win and how can we win the next time around? So I think there's been a bit of a lost art there in terms of the sort of connection and the uh, and the communication because the pressures are still the same for the sales houses and also the pressures are still the same in terms of am I getting the right deal for my client? Am I getting the right deal for, for uh, the business and are we going to get the proper results out of this? So it's continuing sort of communication. And if you've got that relationship and you've got that upfrontness, uh, then your results and your relationship and your conversation is going to be a lot better off. Yeah, it's certainly something that uh, that I believe, and, and especially running pitches, is that you have to, no matter how awkward it may be or, you know, uh, uncomfortable, you have to provide agencies that have gone through a pitch process with honest feedback, you know, because otherwise they're just left in the dark. You know, one of the reasons I became a pitch consultant was the number of times as a creative person you would get sort of, oh, they said the creative wasn't as good as the other agency, which is, you know, a convenient cop-out. It could be true, but in what way? How? You know, when you give very bland sort of almost fobbing someone off. It just leaves them in this place of, well, what do I do with that? I, um, and again, I've been in a, a scenario where uh, 
Uh, I've seen clients pitch creative and pitch media and whatever else and, you know, you'll say to them, have you given the feedback to the agency? Are they, are they in or are they out? And they go, no, I haven't done it yet. Why? And I go, because there's a bunch of people that have worked a lot of hours mm. to put the creative together, to put the media plans together, and they want to know, mm. right? Because it, there could actually be jobs involved here where jobs losses, jobs gain. There could be a scenario where um, people's mortgages and life, uh, you know, lifestyles are sort of on the line here because you haven't given the feedback. And they, they look at you and they go, okay, got it. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's really Good important. Point. Yeah, really important in terms of, and particularly when you're sort of sole traders, but also, you know, being in a multinational, how important is this? Because there's a whole bunch of people up along the line going, how'd you go with this? How did you go with that? Where do we need to improve? How do we, you know, how much more pressure do we need to put on this? How, how can we sort of, how can we get a result here for yeah. you? Um, so, yeah, the, the communication and the, and the line of communication is extremely important both ways. Because you mentioned multinationals because um, Total Advertising then became PhD and you launched that brand in Australia, which, you know, it's part of uh, Omnicom Media Group. It's got quite a strong global reputation. Um, what was it like taking a new brand and uh, launching it into this market? It's funny because um, Mark Holden, who was, um, we ended up being amazing friends, um, was married to an Australian girl. He'd been sent down here to start up PhD. And I used to go around and see him every day. Um, so here's the guy who's the head of global strategy now for PhD. They had him in the naughty boys corner in the back of uh, OMD there. And right, you know, and I just went, mate, how's it going? What are you doing? Who are you buying? And I talked to him every day and he'd go, um, what do you, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this agency, I'm looking at startups, I'm looking at a potential of sort of some OMD clients coming in. And I went, right. And eventually we got talking and then he turned to me one day and he said, what about you becoming a PhD? And I went, nah, that'll never happen. That, <laughs> that'll never, ever fly. And um, he went to Singapore and he sold it in that uh, he thought it was a good idea because I was keen to be to become part of a network even though I was in this amazing organisation uh, of, of Clemmages. Um, but I just thought that there would be um, larger fish to fry, uh, a bigger pool to sort of play in uh, and, you know, sort of probably better tools and whatever. Uh, available with PhD, and the most part I was probably right. Uh, they've had a remar remarkable success. I'd like to think that um, I had a touch of fingerprints on that in terms of the su success that they've had, but they've gone from strength to strength. Um, Mark Code played a uh, significant role in that in terms of when uh, Mark Holden and I left, he took it uh, to a different level, and, and Mark Jarrett and... Uh, Lucy Formosa have continued to do that. So it's um, it's actually nice to sit back and see that the uh, the success that they've had and uh, and the wins that they've had, just as long as they don't beat us. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, it's uh, no, it's okay. And they're uh, they're a successful uh, brand and a successful agency. It's interesting because you went from you know establishing PhD as the brand here, you know, 
with your uh, taking your existing clients and then building from that. That was must have been a terrific base, but you, you and uh, Mark Holden did an amazing job really establishing that, that foundation that uh, the others that you mentioned have managed to build even further on. But what then made you jump to the media owner's side? Because didn't you go from PhD to Network 10? I did. As sales director. I did indeed. And and that was, um, to be honest, that was not really on uh, anyone's agenda. Um, I I had uh, had done the job at PhD uh, and I wanted a break from that. I wanted a break from uh, from the... uh, um, multinational environment. Um, it had great success in terms of, I think we'd sort of grown by 100 million every year, but it was just like sort of it was someone else's time and, and uh, energy to, uh, to go into that. Um, and I was sitting at home and it was probably around this time of year, bit cold, bit wet, bit windy, and I uh, got a text from James Walden to say, what, what are you doing? Mm. And I text back and I said, I'm watching Canterbury races right now, why? And he, uh, he said, let's catch up. And uh, he put something in front of me. He said, do you want to try this? And I n- never really thought about it. I said, I want, I want a few days to sort of think it through. Um, w- when I said yes and I started, uh, and it was as tough as it was, and it was tough, Darren, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, I'm sure it was because uh, you know, it's a it's a tough market, and at the time, ten was the third network. Uh, a long way third, okay, yeah. and uh, yeah, no ratings. Um, we were struggling in terms of product and whatever else. Um, the um, I sat with him the first couple of days, and he said, "What do you think?" I said, "I think you undersold this to me." Right? <laughs> Uh, But having said that, in for a penny, in for a pound, uh, it's probably one of the better things um, that I did because it sort of reignited my thoughts and in terms of the industry, I got to have a look at a whole bunch of competitive agencies that I'd never ever had a look at and and there was a lot of really good young guys there that would, you know, want my insight, whatever. the first thing that I did, uh, six weeks in, I hired Lou Barrett mm. and uh, James said to me, why do you want to do that? And I said, because I won't be doing this forever. And I said, she's got the energy and she's got the uh, she's got the drive. Rod Prosser, who's now got the job, was probably a year or two um, off uh, me pushing for him to get, have it, uh, but he's, uh, he's an exceptional young talent. And um, so... Within six weeks, the base had already been set up in terms of the, the next chapter. Um, and uh, I got to see a lot of clients. I got to see a lot of media product. And I thought maybe there's one more uh, one more crack uh, left in this. And that's where, uh, that's how the uh, the whole sort of D212 Atomic uh, came to fruition after I, uh, after I left Channel 10. Well, it's interesting because it was also a time before you know the the industry blew up over you know media agency transparencies and kickbacks and which happened in the US but it, it had global ramifications it must have been doubly uh, challenging 
first of all, to take on that sales director's role for a brand, a network media brand that was, to your point, a long, to, a long way third, but also when there was so much pressure and tension in the industry, and I'd say more so than ever before. I mean, we started talking about and writing about what we were seeing in 2011. So that's, you know, before you took on that role, where agencies were really struggling. They were really struggling financially because there was nothing but procurement pressure on not just doing the job cheaper, but getting media cheaper. You know, it was almost coming out of the recession of, two, well, it wasn't called a recession here, but the global recession of 2007-8. There was this belief that somehow media costs could just always be driven down forever. Did that add to the frustration? And was that, and firstly, and secondly, was that also part of your belief that there was a better way of doing it leading to Atomic 212? No, the, uh, so, the, so in terms of the pressure on price, the pressure on price has always been around, okay? Um, there's always someone who thinks that they can get it cheaper or should get it cheaper. Um, where you need to be able to sit with a client or a media agency or a salesperson is just work out what the metrics are, um, what the value is, what are we going to what are we going to get out of this? What sort of results? If you actually sit there with a media owner and say to them, "We need to get X Y Z sales out of this. Can you help me get there?" Um, I think you've probably got half a chance in terms of success. If you just come in and say, "I've just um, I've just promised to sort of cut the rates by 20% and you've got to do it. It's probably not the platform where a major media only wants to sit there and, and have the conversation. But if you sit there and say, you've got X, Y, Z money that's being spent on your network at the moment or, 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 or in your channels and we need to get X, Y, Z result, and they go, right, okay, fine. Now we've got the metric. Now let us sit and work with you. Or the, the hands might go up and say, no, we can't get there. There's no possible way that we can get there. So I think the, um, the, the pressure in terms of price, the pressure in terms of profitability for media agencies has always been there. They are businesses. They're standalone businesses and they, and they need to stand on their, uh, on their own two feet. Um, yeah, but Barry, under, um, under accreditation, the agency, whether they were bundled or not, was guaranteed 10% commission, which is 11.1% markup on the media. You know, guaranteed. When they unbundled and dropped accreditation, we were seeing deals in the marketplace of 3 and 4%. You know, that's a 7% loss on the base. And even hearing rumours around 1%, and even effectively, you know, commissions yep. sort of disappeared, but the yep. effective fee dropped so dramatically, yep. even to the point of I personally saw agencies go into pictures and say, we'll do it for free. I'd ne That's a word that I could never ever say or do or use, okay, mm -hmm. uh, because, and I would be extremely concerned if someone said to me that I'm going to work for free. And we would tell the clients, yeah. you get what you pay for, and if someone's doing it for free, they're getting paid somewhere. Yeah. 
And this is why during that whole period, I was so angry with the industry. And I'm sure you would be, and anyone that loves the industry and especially loves media, yep. to see people so uh, diminish the think, perception of value that way. I think there's probably a, a huge pressure in terms of how do I maintain this client? How do I maintain my role within, uh, within uh, this organisation? What have I got to do to, to win? Um, so there's, there's, there's those added pressures, right? So where do, where do I go? What do I need to do to be able to deliver this? And these are, these are big pieces of business. By the way, there's still conversations like that in terms of, um, you know, how cheap can you do it? Um, you know, you're on a global platform, et cetera. You're pitching for something. Um, there's an analysis in terms of you, you feed in all of the, the costs off they go. Um, as you feed them in, if the light comes up green, then you've done well. If the light comes up red, then you're in trouble. And you just think, as you press send and you couldn't deliver the price and it's come up with red, and then you think to yourself, how the hell are we going to do this? The media owner at the end of the day is standing there going, so there's a pitch process going on. I'll still carry the business uh, as a media owner but I've now got to deliver a price that you've effectively said globally that you're uh, that, that you're going to uh, that I, you're I, going to I, agree to. I've had yeah. uh, sales directors collar me and go, "Why are you ruining my business by demanding client uh, by demanding agencies deliver a lower price?" Don't 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 feel as though you're uh, you're special there. They they do that to everyone. Right, okay. and I put my hands up and I go, "Well, we've never actually done it." Yeah. Right? Yeah. We will ask the agency what they think their trading position would be based on the size of a client because that gives the client an indication of where they sit. We also tell the client no media owner is going to give any agency an unfair advantage because they would be destroying their own business. Very true. If they went around giving someone big discounts that weren't available to others, they would just get locked out. You know, I used to love when an agency would come in and go, we're going for a two-network strategy. You knew exactly why, because that third network had pissed them off and wouldn't play ball. I was that, I was that third network, right, when I, uh, when I took over at 10. Um, so there was a lot of doors that were shut or half shut or sort of... Uh, or ajar, uh, and it was my role to put the foot back in and start to sort of get the conversation happening. Of which uh, we had a we, we had a fair bit of success. So it's not a it's not a great position to be in uh, when you've got big multinational groups or you know big clients going no we're we're not using you. So and that's why all doors should be open and all all discussions had. You mentioned procurement. Um, Procurement just don't do it with media. They do it with everything. They do it with widgets. They, you know, that is their role. That is their that is their uh, want in terms of uh, where they need to be to sit at the uh, table. I don't think that's going to change. I really don't. But here's the fundamental thing that I think the industry's missed out on: is when I take on a financial advisor, I say I'm putting this money in as an investment. I'm going to incentivize you based on your performance. I don't go and choose my investment advisor 
based on who's going to do it for the lowest price, mm. right? Mm. And I think this is why the move towards focusing on performance and business results and getting away from this idea that media is a commodity cost. And a lot of procurement people have said to me, oh, media is you know, one of the oldest commodities in the world. Now, to me, that's because the industry has not educated them in not all media is the same. There's, prob yeah. there's probably an element of that, right, where, um, uh, where something's been undersold or, or, or not positioned the right way. You know, but the long and the short of it, and again, our role as media agencies is to sit there with the client and also in, in involve the media and go, this is where we think we can get them to, this is what we're trying to achieve. How do you, how do you improve this client's um, position. position? How do you improve this client's sort of delivery? Mm -hmm. And that's a much better, that's a much better conversation to go and have rather than just sit there and go, I'm going to screw the bejesus out of you right to the last possible decimal point because no one wants to be in that sort of I'm winning, you're not winning situation. But if you if it's collaboration, it's communication around the table in terms of this is what I think we can do, um, then it's a lot better, uh, a lot better sort of conversation for all players. Which goes back to your point about being able to have a level of trust and integrity that you can do that, you know, bring the client, bring your client, bring the media to the table and broker an outcome that works for everyone because that's going to be sustainable. Darren, there's also, you're right, there's that, but it's also along the way, along the journey, and, and I was quite intrigued in my role at 10 where I would sit opposite um, a media buyer and just say, so how's the campaign gone? And they couldn't tell you. Yeah. And I was horrified, right, uh, because I'd always been taught to understand that the dollar that was rolling out the door had to give you so many sales, had to give you so many results. And if Return you're not on advertising that's spend. That's it, that's it. And if you're not asking that question day in and day out of what's working, what's not working, because the media owner's coming back going, well, we just launched all of this, how's it going? You go, I don't know, mm. right? It's, it's, it's the worst thing in the world. You, you need to know where your client's up to, how successful they are and, and, and where the success is coming from. So, look, I'm, and I'm not going to expect you to make a comment on this being, having, you know, a, a, being a media, the leader of a media agency, but there is a new piece of research out of the ANA in the US where they ask marketers their media KPIs. And of the top five selected by the, the, these marketers, Four of them are considered by the experts as vanity metrics. You know, CPM, cost per click, cost per impression. Only one of their top five is return on advertising spent. Wow. Right? Yeah. Do you know so, what? so, so yeah. that means that there is not just a problem with media agencies. There's also a problem with a generation of marketers that are looking for the 
in some ways the easy metric, but also the most impressive metric, even if it's not the most relevant metric. I would I would actually say that they the the metrics that you've just gone through in terms of cost per click, cost per thousand, that they all lead back to cost per sale. They all re- lead back to what is my return on investment? Okay, so if you sort of if you deep dive into that and sort of got under the hood, um, I think you would probably start to get to we're all on the same page here. Yeah, I'm not necessarily uh, convinced of that because if I'm measuring you as my media agency, I'm reducing my cost per click or reducing my cost per thousand. Am I not encouraging you to go for? low quality, potentially fraudulent or potentially non-deliverable media because you're saying that metric could lead to business. But if I'm not even looking at the business result, if I'm just reporting on those metrics, then all I'm doing is uh, encouraging my media agency to not drive my business, but just hit these, in quotes, vanity metrics. Do you know we can all do that, right? And we can all sit there. Uh, again, it comes back to the conversation of um, it's your money and we can spend your money. But let me just say here and now that if we spend it like that, you're not going to get the results and potentially you may not be the marketing director or the CEO of this organisation. So is there a different way that you would like us nice. to approach that? Yeah. Look, you know, and, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, we would like to believe that's true because ultimately I think the reason people uh, get up every day and work is to try and make a difference, try and deliver a benefit. <laughs> a lot of this philosophy you've been sharing seems to be what you've taken into the, this agency. It's called Atomic 212 now, but you originally started as, was it D212? It was D212, yeah. And then you merged with Atomic Search. Atomic Search, yeah. To become Atomic 212. Correct. Everything I hear and see about Atomic 212 has the same philosophy and culture that is Barry O'Brien for me, which is customer first, look after your clients, and you know, the business will grow. Is that your fundamental philosophy? There is the, the customer first, but also our people, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's important. I've been lucky in terms of I've had good people all the way through. Um, and um, so it's not the Barry O'Brien show. It's very much a collective of very, very good operators uh, back in the total days, back in the PhD days, and now at Atomic 212. I've got a bunch of um, uh, amazing uh, up-and-coming uh, executives. Claire Fenner is now the National Managing Director. She's as good as anyone that I've worked with. Uh, my business partner, James Dixon, we've got an amazing relationship um, he is uh, he is super honest. He is very smart. Uh, but we've got a whole bunch of good strategy people, uh, good data uh, technicians, um, good above the line people that have come into the business and been with us for six or seven years, and you've seen them grow uh, and, and grow dram- grow dramatically. So we've been able to sort of give. Uh, people uh, a great opportunity to be able to sort of start to sort of flourish within the uh, within the environment. It was tough there for a while, but um, it is nice to nice to be able to sort of sit back and, and watch the uh, the development of these young people come through. So, the core of what you just said, 
uh, in terms of, uh, of total, in terms of relationships, in terms of clients, uh, in terms of customer focus. But with all of that, you need really good people to be able to sort of deliver that product day in and day out, and we've been able to do, uh, to do that. Well, they do say advertising is a people business. You know, you want to attract the best talent. Um, what role does, you know, like awards or how, what do you do to go about attracting the best talent, apart from being the, the person you are? We've got, um, we've got a, uh, uh, a culture and people person, a lady by the name of Carol Maloney, again, who's... Well, Carol, uh, I yeah. used to work with her. Is that right? Yeah. right. So uh, Mrs Maloney has been in my life for probably 20 years, uh, so ex-Omnicom. Um, Mattingly originally. There, yes, and so it goes on. Um, so she brings a lot of uh, the people together, right? She finds the talent uh, and it's a very um, involved process. Of there where it comes down to um, whoever's running the division or running the office, uh, they're cross-referenced in terms of two or three times in terms of different uh, different interview styles, etc. And then we'll get the uh, the person to uh, present back to us to make sure that it is a uh, a good fit and a, a cultural fit. fit. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. So, so it's a it's a process. It's not just hey Darren, I like you and I've got a job for you, um, which is probably what Water, uh, sorry um, James Warburton did for did with me at Channel Ten. I, I'm joking, but. Um, um, no, it's a it's a form process that uh, where the person is sort of they've got to feel good about joining us. We've got to feel good about joining them because it's sort of what is it highest low, mm. uh, really important. It must be a challenge when you grow as fast as Atomic Two One Two is growing. You've had some phenomenal growth spurts. We've uh, we've been lucky. Um, but I'm a true believer in terms of you make your luck, right? Because your product's got to be good. And I think we've got an exceptional product. I, I know we've got an exceptional product. I know we've got an exceptional pitch process. Uh, and as such, we've been able to win. Uh, and the feedback from clients who've signed on and, uh, and also existing clients of that is a really, really good pitch process and also you've got really, really good people. So you know you're in the right room and you, you know you've got the right people uh, around you to be able to deliver the product. And the other thing is they challenge, right? They ask the question. They're not just, they're not sitting there order taking. They actually ask the, uh, ask the client uh, and, uh, and, and they challenge uh, to make sure that what we're doing and what we're saying is, uh, is on, uh, is on in tune with uh, what uh, what's required. Mm. It's uh, what what are you in now? Year seven. Uh, I my seventh year there. Yes, yeah. uh, but James started it uh, twelve years ago. So James, Tom Shepard, uh, Rory Heffernan. Rory oh, this R is Atomic Search. Yes, yeah. yeah. So uh, um, so yeah. The, the business as such has been going for sort of 12 years, but in terms of the Atomic 212, the core of where it now is is probably seven years. No seven-year reach, Barry? Oh, God <laughs> almighty. <laughs> and if so, what's the next step, you know? <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying sort of watching um, people start to uh, hit their straps and, uh, and start to develop a, uh, 
um, you know, their own skills and their own sort of reputation. So that's a that's a good feeling. Yeah, uh, fantastic. Look, uh, I just uh, realised we've run out of time. I really appreciate uh, being able to sit down and have this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Darren. Uh, one last question, and you know, you've got a long career ahead of you, but if you had one piece of advice for anyone starting out in media today, what would it be? Thank you.